How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 166. Three years in. July of 2016 was when I started this podcast and here we are, three years later. I cannot believe it. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. Thank you for listening and for spreading the word and for reviewing the show on iTunes and for doing all this stuff. It's really, it's grown exponentially and it's because of you guys. So thank you for that. I'm honored uh, to be able to do this. It's an incredible experience. Somebody asked me the other day if I felt the show had changed me at all. And absolutely, it has. It would be nearly impossible to sit down with so many different kinds of people uh, and not have it fundamentally change who I am. I think I've grown. I've learned about who I am by what I'm not and what I'm not by who, by what I am and all the things in between. And I think it's made me a, a better listener and more empathetic. I feel like I see things more than I used to. I notice things, people, and I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain, but I hope that by listening to the show, the same happens for you, that that your ability to see someone as same before other is is happening <laughs> more often than not. That's the goal, at least. Well, this episode uh, is with Holly Dexter, and she's here in Los Angeles. We sat down here, and her story, whew, I don't want to give anything away, so I'm not even going to tell you anything. No spoilers, although, of course, if you've seen the poster for the show, you already know some of it. But man, woof, what a story. So we'll get right into it. I do want to say that uh, if you or anyone you know needs the services of the Red Cross, their toll-free number in America is 1-800-733-2767. So just putting that out there. The links page for this episode is quite long. Holly and I talk about so many things from her life and so I made sure that I got everything on that links page including uh, some important things that we should all have just for safety precaution so those things are up there too on that links page so you're still not giving anything away I hope um, heyhumanpodcast.com check it out that's where all the links are uh, also on there is the Amazon portal if you shop Amazon and do it through the Amazon portal on the Hey Human podcast page. It helps support the show. And that's great because it's an ad-free podcast, as you know, and um, every little bit helps. And that portal, you know, every time you make a purchase on Amazon through that portal, it kicks a little bit back to Hey Human, which is cool. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Let me know what you think. Uh, You can do the stars, you can type out words, you can do stars and words, which is greatly encouraged. Uh, Email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. One of these days I'm going to do a viewer mail, so that's coming soon to a podcast near you. Um, Yeah, Uh, what else? Social media, Susan Ruthism for my personal social medias, and then uh, the podcasts are Hey Human Podcast, so... If you do a search, you will find for sure. 
uh, what else? I think that's pretty much it. I know I always forget something, but I think that's pretty much, oh, I know. If you want to check me out, uh, all the other stuff I do, susanruth.com. I'm also on iTunes. I have albums. They used to make albums. You can download me, whatever you want to do. That, that's under Susan Ruth as well on iTunes. So we well, you got your music, you got your podcast. Oof, I do art. I do all sorts of things. It's a crazy life, but a good one. Uh, oh, and I just started uh, taking improv classes at the world-famous Second City in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm doing this in intensive class. I've never had so much fun in my life, at least not for a few months. <laughs> I say that that's a lot of hyperbole, I know, but you know, when you're in the moment, it's the best thing ever. And it really, oof, you run around the room and you say crazy things and you've got these great people around you that are loving and supportive and wonderful and funny. Uh, the teachers so far, uh, I've had two teachers so far, uh, Tim for the first week and this week is Rich and totally different teaching styles, but I appreciate that because you really learn different, you learn the same thing differently, which I think that's important. So anyway, rambling on about Second City, but if you ever had a bug in your butt and think, I want to try improv, get you to an airport or to a city that has it and or, you know maybe in your hometown or whatever but I highly recommend this experience it's a lot of fun okay and that wasn't even a commercial no one's paying me it's just a blast enough about all that stuff and let's get to it Holly Dexter extraordinary human being as I said um wow this one huh hold on to your hats here we go. Holly Dexter, welcome to Hey Human. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Yeah, um, we're here in Los Angeles. It's a beautiful day, as every day seems to be in Los Angeles. <laughs> it is a beautiful day, and I'm so welcome. I'm welcome oh. to our fair city. Thank you. <laughs> Ed, the month has flown by. Yeah, it's I'm so glad you're here. Me too. There's so much to do here. There's a lot to do. We'll talk about it offline, but I, I have a lot of suggestions for oh, you. <laughs> wonderful. I'm the tour guide. When any, anybody in my family comes into town, I have all the cool places to uh, go. So. It's funny because I've, I know I've only just begun to scratch the surface, and I'm already exhausted. <laughs> There's so much to do. Yeah, I know. I love it. It's such a playground. Um, so, welcome. Uh, you, you are here because Andy Renfrey suggested I yeah. talk with you. And then uh, I looked up your accolades, of which there are many, and uh, got very excited. Uh, I love multi-layered people. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to describe me. I'm multi-layered. Yeah, author, uh, advocate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What else? Your your brother. We'll talk about all this stuff. Uh, yeah. Your own personal stuff. Do uh, you were a child actress? I was. Actually, <laughs> yes. You're a musician. Yeah. Uh, uh, a curator of stories as well. It seems yeah. too. So yeah. there's a lot going on in there. Yeah, I feel exhausted listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> See, I get invigorated. I'm 
<laughs> super excited. Um, let's start. Uh, I don't know the exact timeline of things, so let's just start maybe in childhood because that one's easy. You were a kid actor. How did that come to be? Yeah, well, so when I was growing up, um, my uncle, who was like a father to me, he was an animal trainer. And we had wolves in the backyard. He had a lion living in his house for a while. There was an owl that flew around inside the house, would perch on your chair. And I mean, it was just that kind of a, you know, your average childhood. Um, And I lived a lot of time there with him and my cousins. And my cousins came to live with me sometimes. But anyway, um, he later became an actor. And he was Grizzly Adams, you know, know, the series Grizzly Adams back in the day, Dan Haggerty. Um, so he was doing a movie and his one of his best friends who's a screenwriter was trying to cast for this part in a movie called The Wilderness Family. And he, he told my uncle, uh, you know, I, I wrote the character Jenny kind of based on Holly because he knew me and saw me running around at the house all the time. And he's like, I'm trying to find a girl, you know, that would act like Holly. <laughs> and so my mom's like, why don't you, you know, how? he's like, oh, can she act? And my mom, of course, of course she can act. You know, I've never acted. But um, so my mom had me go in and audition. And it was like hundreds of girls that looked exactly like me. It was really weird. Um, but I just acted like myself and I got the part. <laughs> so Because it was written for you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, loosely based oh, yeah, sure. on a girl like me, yeah, you know. Sure. So, um, so I did that, which was just an incredible experience. So what is the show? It's called The Adventures of the Wilderness Family. It was a big movie in the 70s. came out late 70s. Um, and it was the story of this family who escapes from L.A. The daughter, who I played, Jenny, gets very, very sick, has horrible asthma, and there's all this smog. So they escape, and they build a cabin in the woods, and they live off the land. And, you know, something a lot of people might be thinking about now, <laughs> you sure. know, with the way the world is. Um, but anyway, so it's just their adventures of living in the wild and just the four of them and, you know, encounters with wild animals and... Was your uncle the, the star then? Or? No, he, oh. he was off doing his movie, Grizzly Adams, because oh. Grizzly Adams was a movie first and then it became a TV series. Okay. So he was off doing his his thing and I was filming mine. We both were in Utah filming on location, but so I got to go see him sometimes on weekends when we weren't shooting. But um, That must have been a fun childhood <clears throat> to be around all this stuff that was a a fun chapter of my childhood for sure how was growing up with a lion in the house what was that like (laughs) well can't uh, trust those lions yeah well you know the the they got reported and the lion you know had to be taken away but um i i was really little when they had the lion but um i do remember the wolves and my cousin tammy we were the same age because um, I used to stay there on weekends and stuff. And we woke up one morning and she said, oh, my God, Dad brought the wolves home from Canada because they had just gone to do a movie. And he had just picked the wolves up from the airport like you do when you pick your wolf up from the airport. I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, Every wolf I know gets to fly first class, right? which I find I know. extraordinarily unfair. But So... <laughs> My cousin Tammy was so excited to see Akila, her favorite wolf. And so we, me, my cousin Tracy and Tammy were at the back window. It was early morning. Like, oh, my God, the wolves are back. So Tammy runs out the door. We were about um, probably about seven years old. Runs out the door, runs up to Akila. It wasn't Akila. My uncle picked up the wrong wolf. Can you imagine that there's more than one wolf to pick up at the airport? He picked up the wrong wolf and the wolf 
grabbed my cousin Tammy, lunged at her, grabbed her by the head and started shaking her like a rag doll. <laughs> so my aunt and uncle, um, I believe it was my uncle that just jumped through his bed because we were screaming and he jumped through the bedroom window and saved her from the jaws of a wolf. But she had to have all these stitches and oh my God. it was, you know, so just your average childhood. <laughs> you know? All grown up now, is she terrified yeah. of dogs and wolves? And oh, things? no, no. She's, oh, she actually, she's passed away uh, oh. recently, but. But, um, yeah, it was not good. Um, but she, uh, you know, she loved animals, yeah. loved animals. She grew up with them her whole life. Mm-hmm. That was just, you know, it was just a fluke. It's, you know, a kilo, you pick up the wrong yeah, wolf. Akila from... was in the bathroom washing her hands. <laughs> yeah. or she came out, her paws. Yeah, that was it. So. <laughs> She's like, hey, where's my ride? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> she hadn't been wearing the sunglasses. He yeah. would have recognized her. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's uh, extraordinary. Yeah. Holy cow. So, um, so you, how long were you on that show? So the Wilderness Family was a movie and I was on that. Um, it, we shot that for a whole uh, summer. Mm. I was 11 when mm-hmm. we did that. And then after that, I did a couple cable shows. And then I was on General Hospital for a while as a, when I was like 14 or 15. I think it was 14 or 15, and I played a pregnant teen. And back in the day, there was Luke and Laura, that whole thing. So I was Laura's, you know, teen friend who was in trouble. And so her her mom was my doctor, and, uh, you know, anyway. So I did that for a while. Did you have the baby? Um, Well, what ended up happening, because I was, like, on and off, you know, as a recurring character. Mm. And then the whole town was under... um, some kind of like there was some kind of horrible outbreak of some disease and the whole hospital was shut down so then I never got to go in and have my baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and street that, urchin baby. <laughs> yeah, so I'm still pregnant You're with that still baby. Pregnant. I'm still I'm still that's carrying some, that little strap on uh, soft belly that I had. That's some pretty hot topic for what was it the 80s maybe? Yeah. Well, let me see. It must have been like 1979 maybe or something. I'm not that's a yeah. risque yeah. for television. It was cutting edge, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Did you know who the father was? Uh, I think so. It was the wolf, wasn't it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah. I don't remember. That baby's honestly. doing really well now. Yeah. It's all grown up. Went to, went to Harvard. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Just got its doctorate. It's Harry Potter or something. <laughs> all right. So from that uh let's see what happens next i don't know your timeline i just know all the things you've done um so i let's see i so i when i my kids were little i didn't want to work a regular job anymore so i so i quit acting i Mm -hmm. just i just didn't like it and then i just was singing so i was singing since i was a teenager i was singing in little coffee houses and restaurants and stuff like that i did that for years done backup for some humongous acts and you also put out is it four records is Um, that correct well two records of my own and then i've sung and then i've done a couple of like compilation Mm -hmm. records Mm -hmm. and then um i've sung on a lot of records like as a background singer blake shelton i saw one yeah i got to sing i didn't sing on his record but i did get to sing live with him on on tv and he's um, a nice guy he was i have to tell you it was right when he was at the beginning of his rise he Mm. had the long hair Mm -hmm. then and the mullet yeah (laughs) and it was like his first big hit and i had never heard of him but Mm -hmm. i got a call can you be at the tv station tomorrow to sing with this guy here's the song learn it and he was just so like 
oh, so nice to meet you, ma'am. And yes, ma'am. And because I was, oh, oh, do you want us to wear all black? Do you want us to stand here? Okay, ma'am. <laughs> it was just so cute. Now he's like huge, he you know. But he's so, and speaking of huge, he's like 6'4", by the way. Yeah, he's very tall. really tall. Handsome. Handsome feller. So handsome. And mm-hmm. just, he was so lovely. Yeah. I, I don't know what fame has done to corrupt him by now, but oh, he I think he's sweet. still a, a good yeah. He's still a good person. He seemed like he was made up of good stuff. Like, mm-hmm. he was raised well, mm-hmm. you know, very yeah. nice manners. And he and also, I think, brought his own good goodness to the table. So yeah, It's exactly. nice when, it's like Reba. Reba is the nicest human being. And I, I feel like some people just, they navigate this crazy fame fortune mm. curse yeah. <laughs> well. Some don't. Well, I think I heard Oprah say once that uh, fame will just, whatever you are, fame will magnify it. So whatever you came, if you... It's like being drunk. Yeah. If you came to the party as a jerk, you're going to get famous and rich and be a giant jerk. Mm. Or if you came with a good heart and you're going to... Fame is a gypsy elixir, I think. Yeah. You know, it does the same sort of... There was uh, Oprah Winfrey told a story on a on a podcast I, I listened to, or maybe it was retold through Elizabeth Gilbert. I can't remember exactly now, but she said she was walking her dogs in the morning and, you know, didn't have the face on, didn't have the hair on or whatever, just normal person walking, sweat out, sweats outfit, and passed a, a homeless man on a bench. And the man said, uh, you know, lady, you look a lot like Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> and she laughed and she said, I am Oprah Winfrey. And he said, yeah. you're no Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> which she said she delighted in. I think that's such a funny story. Yeah, funny. And it speaks a lot to fame, right? Who we really are versus the yeah the masks that we have to wear to be whatever the things. And not just in uh, entertainment, I think, in general. The masks we wear to be whatever. the Sitting at the Thanksgiving table with Uncle Bob, who's driving us insane to... You know, our dry cleaner to whatever. You're right. You know? Exactly. You yeah. have an Uncle Bob, too. I think everyone in the world has an Uncle Bob. Um, Uncle Bob just for just for show. <laughs> it's, his name is actually Gene. Oh. But Bob just rolls off the tongue. I don't know why it's always Bob for me. Uncle Bob. Um, when did... Uh, what, your brother was shot. Yes. And survived. Yeah. And he was shot in the head? Yeah, he was. <clears throat> what happened? So there was a boy that we grew up with down the street. So I was 14 when it happened. My little brother was seven when he was shot. Um, The boy was 13. We had grown up with him our whole lives on the neighborhood. And we all knew that he had really terrible parents that were abusive to him. And he was just a little off. He was not, he, he was a strange kid. And he called my brother. It was like a Saturday morning during the summer. He called my brother into the house. He said, I want to show you something. And um, my brother, seven years old, went into the house and he took his father's gun out and he shot my brother in the head. Accidentally, the gun goes off or he shot him in the head like, look what this gun does. My brother said the last thing he remembered Dean saying to him was, it's loaded. So, you know, we went through a whole... And then after it happened, you know, we, of course, had to, I had to hold my brother. I only grew up, we grew up with a single mom. So my mom was like rushing, you know, to the ER and I was holding him and he was losing consciousness and bleeding out. And I mean, it was intense. And while this was happening, we had no idea what was happening on our street. He and his mother, the shooter and his mother, had barricaded themselves inside the house. There was the SWAT team. There were helicopters. It was a day-long standoff. 
and finally they got him to come out. Then when we ended up going to court, it took, you know, a year, I don't know, something like that. And all the while my brother's having surgeries and going through physical therapy for brain injury. And um, they ended up saying, oh, you know, kids will be kids. It was just an accident. And and you know. he's now in the Supreme Court. No. <laughs> right. Oh, God. No. Uh, yeah. Joke. No, but he did end up a couple years later being in juvenile hall for uh, something else. So, I mean, you know, it was just environment a nightmare. Uh, does not help an upbringing when it's yeah. when it when you come to the table already with violence and yeah. things. Uh, how how was the recovery for your brother? Um, he's had a really difficult life. You know, whatever life he was going to have was ended that day because he lives with traumatic brain injury, seizures. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you heard anything about like traumatic brain injury, our, our soldiers that come home from Afghanistan, they have like emotional, like, not only PTSD, but also physically because of brain injury, they can have crying jags, they can have rages, they have um, like unstable mood swings, they tend to self-medicate you know and so all of that we've been dealing with for 40 years wow that's yeah. a lot it's been it's been um really hard the bullet is in his head still oh they were, they were not able to get it out oh because to dislodge it would mean yeah brain so, bleeds and things exactly yeah. so he's been living with a bullet in his brain his whole life so it, you know that's not a good way to live mm, <clears throat> so it's been rough <laughs> does he live here in california <clears throat> yeah yeah yeah, he does. And he understands what's happened and all oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he understands. Mm-hmm. But it's been, you know, he's, he's, he's struggled a lot. And I wonder, you know, what his life would have been like if he didn't have that struggle. You know, there are certain struggles that might make you stronger, you know, and you might overcome. But it's you can't really overcome living with a bullet in your brain. You know, there was a certain amount of what's called neuroplasticity because he was so young that his you know first he really was like walking dragging his leg he couldn't use his right hand at all um <clears throat> but <clears throat> i was out late last night no, my husband fine. had a gig and i'm like so scratchy no, you're fine. <clears throat> but anyway he um you know he learned to to i mean get all that back because of that neural plasticity and so he functions pretty well he, he doesn't have like a lot of feeling in his right hand he had to learn how to write with his left hand so he was shot on the left side um he Isn't was, it opposite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was shot left side of the brain, yeah. yes. <clears throat> yeah. So luckily it didn't affect his speech or anything. Um, he's a little a little bit slurry, a little bit. But, you know, um, anyway, yeah. How did that shape your eventual coming into advocacy for gun well, <clears throat> control? You know, the, the thing is, like, growing up with a single mom, and she worked nights, and she was just, like, doing everything she could to just keep us going after that, you know? She didn't have any support, and, you know, it, it was just, it was really hard. So, so we just didn't talk about it. And then as years went by, she didn't want to talk about it, because it was just too painful. It was like, let's just not look back. Let's move forward, you know? So I never talked about it, and I sort of internalized the message that I shouldn't talk about it, which I really didn't. And then um, when Sandy Hook happened, and I heard that there were, um, I will get emotional saying this, but I heard there were, you know, 20 first graders that had been slaughtered with guns. I just was flashing on my brother, who was a first grader, missing his two front teeth, bleeding all blood dripping off his eyelashes down his face you know i mean just 
the nightmare of that. Your own PTSD. Yeah, and I know what a child who's been shot looks like because I've held that child in my arms and I just said, that's it. Like, I have to do something and I have to talk about it. And so for the first time, I wrote um, I, I wrote a whole essay about it and it ended up getting picked up um, and kind of went viral. And I mean, I had people like reaching out to me saying, I, I've known you for 20 years. I didn't know this had happened to you. Like, I didn't even know. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't bring it up at cocktail parties. It's not appropriate at play dates. You know, like, it's, just, you know, it's it's a hard... And, and part of me was like, I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings by telling them my horrible story because I just knew it would upset people to hear it, you know? So I just didn't really talk about it for a long time. Now I talk about it constantly. I talk, I, I testify in front of legislature and I, I write about it and I go out and I give speeches at schools and churches and synagogues and... You know, so now I talk about it a lot. So I came out with my story after Sandy Hook, basically. So that launched a whole unexpected turn in my life that and just something I never thought I would be doing. I'd already been writing books then. And so then it was like, oh, you know, hard right turn right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Did so. you find more backlash or support when you came out with your story? Well, support from all the people that know me and that matter. And then, of course, there's a lot of crazy loons out there that love guns more than people that, you know, I mean, I've been threatened and called names and, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. people are... People in, you know, in living in their mother's basements are going to hate, you know? <laughs> so Yeah. They don't even have to live in their mother's basement, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. It is, it is curious to me how little people really truly understand about what what owning a... First, what owning a gun means. The responsibility yeah. of owning a gun, um, and including safety. Right. Right. Uh, which is paramount, obviously. Right. And that's what I teach. Is safety. Yeah. And I think that there's this rhetoric that by saying, hey, you know what? These kids are getting shot and this is something to talk about and to help control men- mentally ill people who get guns and people with history of domestic violence who get guns yeah. and all this stuff. Nobody's trying to take away law-abiding citizens' guns. Right. And in fact, that would be a nearly insurmountable task anyway oh completely i mean that first of all the president doesn't get to make that choice which i don't know why they always say president so-and-so is for or against it's like so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i mean if you wanted to change the second amendment you would have to have um two-thirds of congress would have to vote on it and then three-fourths of the states would have to ratify it I don't see that happening Mm -mm. in my lifetime Mm -mm. that's a b let's say we did make that happen Who's going to confiscate the guns? Like our underfunded police department, our overstretched military. Like who's going to do it? President Obama himself, Hillary Clinton herself is going to go. A bunch of angry moms are going to come to your house with T-shirts on and be like, give me your guns. You know what I mean? It's so silly. It worked in other countries, but other countries are smaller, less people. Yeah. And had way less guns, way less. We have more guns than people in this country. Yes. So. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Do you ever go shooting guns? I'm curious. I don't, but I did as a child. Yeah. Um, yeah, my mom had a um, had a boyfriend that I didn't care for for a while, and he was a gun enthusiast, and he taught us how to shoot. And mm-hmm. So I do know how to shoot guns, I learned. And it's a good skill for the coming apocalypse. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
Yeah, so um, <laughs> I do know how, but I, I, you know, I just think I'm, I'm focused on, you know, let's, let's look at education. Let's look at creating mm-hmm. peace in our communities. Mm-hmm. Let's look at how we communicate with each other, educating our youth about, you know, the risk versus benefits of guns, what they do, you know. I mean, I think eventually we're going to have to see some autopsy pictures. You know, people are going to have to see what guns do, maybe, you know. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I think a lot of people who have guns, all they have to go by is theory. They're theoretical in their gun, yeah. gun ownership. Yeah. When you own a gun, you have to understand that that, just like when you own a car. When you own a car, when you have a pool, you have to understand that you should have a gate so children don't get into it and drown. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there are just certain things. That it's just, if you have a gun, that's fine. I mean, my husband has all this family in Kansas, and they have hunting properties, and mm-hmm. that's fine, mm-hmm. you know? But not only here in L.A., especially, do you want to keep your gun in a safe because you don't want a child getting a hold of it? an impulsive teen like two-thirds of school shooters got their guns from the home mm-hmm. you don't want hormones are a bitch yo. hormones are a bitch and <laughs> and a lot of and suicide is on the rise with teens sure. and so you don't want a sad teenager to get a hold of your gun who doesn't and, have forethought and that's the thing right. is, is it and not even many adults have the capacity to see past whatever they're in in the moment yeah yeah exactly if, if your whole life is in that moment right the, and that's that their brains aren't developed yet to understand consequences. You know, that mm-hmm. part of their brain that really understands the the outcome of a decision. It's not developed yet. So anyway, you want to keep your guns in a safe. And also because um, in L.A., guns are harder to get. And so the way they get crime guns, most of the crime guns in L.A. are stolen. From people's homes. From people's homes. They adequately. will break into your home and they will not care about your computer or your jewelry. They're looking for guns. So and they especially target. We have a couple of police officers on our board of directors. I'm with. I'm on the board of directors for Women Against Gun Violence, and we have some police and sheriffs on our board. And they said the houses that have like the Gadsden flag or a, or a POW flag or you know anything military related or you know warning you know gun owner you know that don't trespass like anything like that. Those houses get hit the most. Because it's like saying, I have a gun. So they're like, yay, thank you. Mm-hmm. We're going to break in there first, you know. Yeah. So anyway, guns, guns. Yeah, guns, <laughs> guns. Uh, How did you meet your husband? Oh, gosh. Um, I... <laughs> Did you ever hear that song? I was working as a waitress. And <laughs> that's pretty much how I met him. I, I thought I was working... Um, as a waitress at L'Express in Sherman Oaks, which was like the hipster place to hang out in um, the 80s. And he used to come in there after gigs because it, it was a French cafe, but it was open till two in the morning. It was like the hang that everybody would go to after clubs or whatever. And um, I thought he was somebody else that I had just met like two weeks before. And I was like, oh, hey, hi, how are you doing? You know? So he's was, like, man, he's this like, chick is friendly. Right. Then he's like, yeah. And I said, I know you. I'm Mitzi's friend. Remember, we went to such and such last week. I met you when we were with da, 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 da. You know, and he was like, nope. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was in Australia last week. And so I was just like beat red and totally embarrassed. I sorry. Bye. Just walked away. <laughs> it's a great pickup idea. Yeah. I hope you're all taking notes, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we, we it's a longer story than that, but um, we ended up becoming friends, and um, we were friends for like six months before we ever admitted feelings for each other, 
So we were just buddies. We hung out. We went to the beach. We took vacations. We went out to lunch all the mm-hmm. time. We'd work out at the gym together. We were just buddies. So With sexual tension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was definitely that Ross Rachel tension honest. going on. <laughs> it was a juice box. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, what it, so he's a professional musician, obviously. Yes, he is. Uh, and uh, singer, guitar, what does he do? Um, well, he's mostly a, a guitar player mm-hmm. and keyboard player. So he I, actually, I was at his gig last night. He played last night. Um, his original band does je- like really cool kind of funky um, soul jazz, you know, mm-hmm. um, great stuff. And, um, so that's his main, that's his love. Um, but he also makes a living as the keyboard player for Wilson Phillips. So he's been with them for like 12 years and okay. just a little, little, just light touring, like a weekend here, a weekend there, maybe two times a month. Great singers. Oh, they're great. Those voices. Not only great singers, but you know, we've been in their, you know, quote unquote family for, um, I guess it's been about 12 years now, and we've all raised our little kids together. They're all the same age, and they're just family people. They're great girls, really nice people, and, you know, you get to know people when you're on the road, and they're good people, now, really good. is it China that's yeah. married to a... Billy very, Baldwin. Yeah, and he's a pretty conservative guy, right? No, no, no. That's it. No, you're thinking of Stephen. <laughs> is it Stephen? They all look so much alike. I okay, so, so So Billy and Alec Baldwin are on the same page politically. And if you follow if you follow Billy on Twitter, he's funny, but he's he? very political and he's very progressive. Okay, so because I, I was thinking, gosh, that must be interesting if you're with the one that is super, con- so, super conservative. Stephen. I'd love he's, to be a fly on the wall in those commercials. Yeah, well, <laughs> those conversations yeah thanksgivings are intense for the baldwins from from what i understand so <laughs> god from what i heard friends. from billy yeah wow so. um when i'm i'm filling in the because just again i don't know the timeline so when you you were married and a fire breaks out in your house yeah let's talk about that yeah so that's what my book fire season is about um so we were Gosh, we were, had been married like five years, I think. So we were young in our marriage and we had two kids. Um, Our daughter was at a sleepover. She was not home that night. And um, our son, who was four at the time, was. And, you know, I woke up that day. So he, so he had a recording studio in the house and I had, I had a children's clothing line that was, we had like this tri-level house up in the hills and the bottom level was just my clothes, my clothing line. It was all centered down there and it was a national uh, line. It was in Barney's New York. It was in Fred Siegel. It was, you know, all over the place. And, um, what was so it called? It was called Coochie Kuzu. It was a little cute, little funky little kids line with like really outrageous. Like we did these little Audrey Hepburn swing dresses with like leopard collars and a little leopard muffin hat and just, you know, really out fun, there fun yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, so that night, you know, we went to bed. I was a business owner. He was a studio owner and producing albums and stuff for other artists. And, um, I had this bad feeling that whole day, like just this pit in my stomach. And I'd had a really bad dream the night before that I had lost everything in my life. But I, I, I dreamed that I was tumbling backward down a hill and every, all my possessions were tumbling with me, but they crushed me at the bottom and I lost everything. And I woke up crying and I woke Troy up and I was like, oh, I had this horrible dream. He's like, it's a dream. Just relax. And it's fine. Don't worry. It's okay. 
And uh, that whole day, I just felt sick. And that night, um, I I had the hardest time going to sleep. I finally did fall asleep. And then I woke up with this voice in my head just saying, check the baby. I was like, ugh. So I got up and I went and I checked on Taylor, who was four. It's his birthday today, by the way. Happy birthday, Taylor. (laughs) So um, I, I checked on him and he was fine. And okay, I don't know what's bothering me. I went, you know, I went and I checked on my dogs who were like in the kitchen behind a little safety gate and um they were fine and then i went back to bed and an hour later woke up checked the baby you know checked him he was fine hour later same thing happened but the last time that i woke up i was really groggy and the house was smoky but we had had the fireplace on that night it was freezing cold and you know sometimes if it's freezing cold and you light a fire some of the smoke backs into the house and i just thought that's what it was what I later found out what was happening is the house was already smoldering inside the walls and we were all inhaling carbon monoxide. So I felt like I was drugged the third time I woke up and I kept trying to wake up, but I, I kept falling back asleep. I was trying to wake up and I couldn't and fi- the voice got louder in my head and so I pushed myself up. I was like bouncing off the walls to get to him. And then I went in and I checked him and he was fine. And I just collapsed in the bed with him, you know, and then the next thing I remember is my husband screaming my name and screaming for me to get out of the house, get out of the house, get out of the house. And, you know, for me, I just was like, I heard his voice. I heard the panic. So I jumped up. I opened the door to run to him. And then that's the backdraft, you know, blew me back, knocked me to the floor. And, you know, I just had a moment of thinking, this is it, you know, this is it. And, I just, and it was really like in the movies, like that moment where time slows down and I'm just like staring at the ceiling and I'm like, wow, you know, this is so weird. Am I going to die? I thought I'd live long. You know, like I'm having these thoughts, you know. And then I looked over and I saw my son laying there, you know, my four-year-old and his arm is just like limp over the edge of the bed. And I, I don't even remember, but next thing I remember I'm like kicking the window out I've got him oh, in my yeah. arms the mom tr- the, the mom, mom adrenaline yeah. you know people are like oh so you were so smart to think you know I was like I think what like I don't survival. even mm. you know so um yeah so then we it, it was a second story window and there was concrete below and the, the firemen weren't there yet fire people no the firemen didn't get there for 20 minutes they couldn't find our house because we were like way up on this windy kind of like where you are now so just me but i think they have better gps now than i'll get an extinguisher tomorrow yeah please get <laughs> your carbon monoxide i have those i have okay. one yeah. i tell everybody yeah. get your carbon monoxide detectors because we had smoke alarms but by the time i heard them it was too mm. late yeah big fan of the carbon monoxide yes alarm mm-hmm. yeah so um I ended up uh, knowing I was going to have to drop my four-year-old son Fuck. out of a right out of a two-story window onto concrete, and I couldn't hold him because my weight would have crushed him if I jumped holding him. And I was going to have to let. I was holding him by his fingertips out the window. Is he conscious at this he, point? He woke up then. He was conscious, but not making a sound, as I think he was really groggy and. At this point, literally, the backs of my legs are blistering, and I'm holding him. So there's down, an active fire behind in the you. Room. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. And my my ear was already like charred. Like if you've ever left a hot dog on the grill too long, that's what my ear looked like. And I had burns on my back and my legs, and um, and I'm holding, and I'm, I'm like, I have seconds here, you know. And I couldn't breathe because when I opened the window, all the 
smoke and the fire was attracted to the oxygen so it was coming toward me and the smoke was and like taking all your oxygen taking all the oxygen yeah. so I knew I had seconds and I knew I was gonna have to drop him and I was screaming for my husband and I heard my husband say he was gonna jump from his window because we couldn't get to each other because our hallways were on fire which Are thank the god dogs I, going insane at this point they were gone they were gone they already passed from the oh, carbon monoxide oh that's yeah. at least mercy yeah um Horrible, horrible, horrible. That was the hardest thing to get over, honestly. That was, mm-hmm. that was the hardest part. Um, so then I heard my husband jump and I heard his body hit the concrete and I kept screaming his name and he didn't answer. Um, I later found out it was because the car, the, it knocked the wind out of him. He fell on his back and it knocked the wind out. He couldn't respond. But by the time I had to drop my son, he was there and he caught him. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I'm okay. Are you okay? <laughs> well, you know, I, I used to not be able to talk about this until I wrote the book, and then I had to read the story at a lot of, like, writers' conferences and things, and I would cry, and my knees would shake. But now I've told it so many times that it's I, I can say it. To, I mean, I have tears in my eyes, but yes. I can say it now without completely losing my it. My heart is pounding <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah. It was intense. It was the most intense moment of my life. I mean, the moment of like, am I going to have to drop my, the most counterintuitive thing in the world, drop my child onto concrete out of a burning building, you know, like. So do you remember your leaping from the window? Yeah. Then after Troy, Troy screamed, I've got him. And I heard him and then I couldn't see because the black smoke was just coming all around me out the window. I couldn't see anything. And I just, I lowered myself out and let go. And I, um, I do remember like, the thwack you know the the hit my bones hitting like my hip which has been and I broke my tailbone and oh and I was severely bruised but um but alive but alive and you know I've had some chiropractic issues over the years but you know I couldn't believe I was I mean when I my husband helped me up after I felt I was in shock so I didn't feel the pain of what I had done um and he pulled me to my feet and we just kind of looked at each other like what the hell is happening? And oh my God, are we alive? Like, you know, it was just like this moment of looking at each other like, what? And then the windows started blowing out because like the, the gas and, yeah. you know, gas lines and everything. Oh, so, sure. So yeah, so we ran, we just ran, you know, and, um, you know, then neighbors started coming out with their little, their little garden hoses. And then they're looking at it. They're like, oh, <laughs> this isn't going to do anything. You know, it was a, an inferno, three stories tall. So, um, how long until the fire department? It took them 20 minutes to get to us. And by the time they got there, everything was gone. Everything was gone. And we tried to get back in to try to find, to get the animals, but they were downstairs. We were upstairs. By the time we jumped out, the downstairs was just completely engulfed. What started the fire? Well, they said it was, um, wiring inside the walls. Like, um, the, the lights went out in the living room and we went to reset the, you know, the, what's it called? Breaker. The, the breaker. And it kind of made a zzz sound. And so I just said to Troy, like, leave it. Let's just leave it off. We'll call an electrician in the morning. I don't know what's going on. You know, something happened in that moment. But how could we have known? You know? So I was like, wow, that was weird. Just don't touch it. Just leave it. You know, thinking we were fine. And so- somehow, this is what they think. They think, because we had, like, arson investigators come to see us in the hospital and asking us all these questions. Do you have any enemies? Would anybody want to burn your house? I was like, God, I hope not. But um, what they later determined was that, like, 
a spark had flown inside the wall, landed on a beam, and just smoldered for hours and hours and hours. And so he's, they said, you went to bed in a burning house, but you didn't. your house was on fire when you went to bed, and you just didn't know it. Oh, fuck. The metaphor, <laughs> as a songwriter, right now I'm like, there's about 8,000 songs I want to write in this second. Good, take it. Go with it. Use this as your writing prompt but, for the day. But just the, the metaphor of that is, is, what is it like to see everything you own vanish like that, other than the corpus of you and, you know, the family? Well, I, in that moment, I was hysterical. And I was so much in shock and so hysterical that I I kept freaking out about my daughter. And my husband kept grabbing my shoulders and shaking me. She's not there. She's not in there. I'm like, where's Crispy? Where's you? you know, I was crazy. But mostly I was freaking out about the animals. Once I realized my daughter wasn't in there, I was just freaking out about the animals. I was just freaking out about that. I wasn't even thinking about, you know, my business or my sofa, <laughs> you know, my paintings, the, the, the masters of our first album we had just spent two years working on, you know, like that's, I didn't even think about that. I was just worried about the animals. Um, but then, you know, the next day the hospital, you know, they said, okay, well, you're, you know, they had us all patched up. They've had Troy on crutches. They said your carbon monoxide levels, our son had carbon monoxide poisoning too. They said, your levels are good. You know, you can go home. We were like, what? What does that like, even mean even, anymore? We yeah. have these hospital gowns. Like, we don't have car keys. We don't have a license. We don't have shoes. We don't have a toothbrush. Like, we had nothing. And so, uh, you know, we were just, uh, you know, what do you do? What do we do? And we realized at that moment we were homeless and jobless. And the day before, we had, you know, we were two entrepreneurs with a great place and two kids and just living the dream, you know. And the next day we were homeless and jobless and that was it. And so it was like, we had this blank slate in front of us. It's like, what do we do first? You know? And we just had to figure that shit out because we didn't know anybody who had been through that. And it was before all these horrible fire seasons we're having now. Welcome to California. You'll see soon. I'm sure. Sadly. Um, I didn't know anyone who had been through losing anything in a fire. And I kept asking people, do you know, does anyone know anyone? Cause I, I don't know what to do first. I don't know how to get a birth certificate. I couldn't get into my bank account. I didn't have any ID. I didn't know how to reestablish ourselves in the system and get birth certificates and social security cards and driver's licenses and just, you know, all that stuff. We didn't have anything. We were a blank slate. Was there support around you? To help? Um, I will say my my mom stepped up and let us live. Uh, the four of us were living in uh, her guest room <laughs> for a couple months, three months, um, which was awkward as my mom and I have struggled, you know, um, and we do better when we have some distance between us. But um, but we, you know, we needed someplace to live after we got out of the hospital. So and then, uh, yeah, support. Oh, my God, the music industry. I mean, so so we didn't have insurance. I don't know if I mentioned that (laughs) we didn't have fire insurance. In fact, I had just um, applied for fire insurance, but I had to send in the first payment and I was waiting for some money to come in to send it in. So when the house burned down, my insurance application, my fire insurance application burned with it. So nothing was insured. And I thought we were the house of irony. It's exploding. There's another song title. Yeah. Um, so I I couldn't believe the music industry. Our friends, like, 
you know, over all these years, you do a million gigs and you meet people here and there and you just know all these great people and you kind of forget how many people you know. And then, I mean, words spread, like, I hate to use the analogy wildfire, but words spread and this was before the internet. And everybody was calling everybody, calling each other. Did you hear about the Dexters? Oh my God, da, 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 da. And before you knew it, we had them putting together a benefit for us at the old Palomino, which is where like, you know, Linda Ronstadt used to play. It's not there anymore, but um, they put together this beautiful benefit. And then like churches and synagogues, you know, people that we knew that went to churches and synagogues, they, you know, came over with all this donated clothing and I've got a couch. Hey, I've got an extra refrigerator in my garage. I've got this. I've got that. Everybody had stuff they were mm. donating to. It was amazing. I mean, it was, it was overwhelming to be the recipient of that much. I mean, the love was great, but to be the recipient of that much giving when like, that's my job. That's what I do. <laughs> but it, it's a measure of a life well lived because people will be in kind to how you are. Yeah. It, it, it says really... it speaks to your goodness that people rose to the occasion. And human beings, we, we see a lot of the crap we do, but ultimately I think when one of our own yeah. is hurting in general, in yeah. our community, we step up. Maybe not in communities across the world because that doesn't feel like our tribe, unfortunately. Yeah. Hopefully that will change someday. But... Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. It really was beautiful. And it reminded me, and I wrote this in my book, when I saw, we, we pulled up to the Palomino that night for the fundraiser, and I saw all these people waiting in line to get in. And I just, like, you know, sobbing. Mm. And I saw all my musician friends with, you know, their musician, their their guitars and their horns and everything strapped over their backs, you know, waiting to get in. And it was like an Amish barn raising, you know? It was like... They were going to help us re-erect the framework of our lives. And it was just um, whew, getting emotional thinking about mm. it. It was so beautiful. Mm. It was so beautiful. But musicians are cool people. That's what I have to say. <laughs> so I'm in with you there. Yeah. yeah <laughs> what about your, <clears throat> pardon, what about your business? How did that? Uh, it was a goner. It was a goner. Yeah. My computers, my records, all of our patterns, uh, just everything. And we were already... Um, in debt because that was the same year as the 1994 earthquake in California and so when the earthquake hit that we couldn't ship anything because the freeways had crumbled and all this and all of our accounts like on the east coast they were like oh, if it's late we're gonna have to cancel and sorry about your earthquake but you know so I mean we didn't even have water lines like every, water mains had broken freeways crumbled UPS wasn't working and so we lost a lot of money that year and so we had to take out a loan to bounce back from the earthquake and then we had the fire so an earthquake and a fire in one year an uninsured fire uninsured fire you know my fault for not you know sending that stuff in but sooner but because like i said we were broke and we were trying to borrow money so i could even send in the insurance yeah, that, i wouldn't use the word know. fault it's just the circumstance yeah it was the circumstance but um you know Make sure if you're renting, folks, get renter's insurance. Yeah, yeah. I'm renting here. So. Get and renter's in fact, insurance. My housemate slash landlord, uh, she lost everything in the Malibu fires. Her house oh. burned to the ground. Okay. So So she knows. Yeah, and my friends in Tennessee, the Currys, their house burned to the ground. And they Smith uh, is in the music industry, and we all rallied, and they rebuilt their home that way. So it does... Yeah. People will show up. Yeah. How does a 
when I was in the floods in Nashville, mm-hmm. and as the city was trying to rebuild, and those of us that could went around to help, you know, deliver water or whatever to the people yeah. that are, you know, pulling everything they've ever owned out of their destroyed house. That's only all that's left is the, the beams and things in a flood. <clears throat> and what I noticed most of all was this. It was so weird. The joy. There yeah. was this joy of my family's alive. For those who didn't lose human beings, yeah. not a lot of humans died in that. Thank God. Yeah. But certainly possession devastation. But there was this sense of joy. My family is alive. Yeah. <clears throat> this is just stuff. And there is that reset button, which people joke about all the time, right? Oh, mm-hmm. if only I could just reset my life. And how did that affect you in terms of the reset button? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because there is almost like this this temporary euphoria. Mm. And and I did feel that, especially, you know, all my friends coming together and everyone coming to help me. And people that I was like, I didn't know you cared that much. You know, I mean, just everywhere people were coming to help and it was incredible it was beautiful and the red cross was amazing by the way um but and then I, we would cry ourselves to sleep every night not over the stuff but over our pets mm-hmm. you know and the fact that we didn't know how we were going to make a living we were scared because we had two little kids it would have been different if we hadn't had kids but we were really scared because we had two kids to support we didn't have a place to live we didn't have jobs um but you know people just came came to the rescue and the Red Cross bought Troy um, a new guitar and an amp so that he could start doing gigs right away, which he did. We had friends that booked um, these big corporate events. They called us right away. Oh, we heard we're going to book you on every weekend, every gig we've got, you know, so we were like, we just started working like workhorses every weekend. So we had that because the Red Cross got him the instruments to work and I had my instrument, which was my voice, (laughs) luckily. How um, did your marriage? <clears throat> excuse me. I'm I know both to... of us are like. <clears throat> yeah, goodness. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what that's about. <clears throat> excuse me. How did your marriage throughout this? Was it? Did it maintain the stability or? Were... No, it was tough. We almost yeah. didn't make it. So okay. a couple. It was a couple of really rough years, and for, you know, not to assign gender roles here, but like for a man, it was really, really hard on his self-esteem to not be able to provide for his family, to feel like he needed to accept charity from others. It was harder for him even than it was for me. And it, it really took a toll on his, his self-esteem. And so he got really depressed. And I, um, because of all my unexamined baggage from my own childhood, the shooting and other things that had happened, um, it's like, you know, when, when something like that happened, like a big tragedy, it's, short, it's sort of like breaks open the fault line and mm-hmm. everything else comes up to the surface. <laughs> yeah. So I was a hot mess and I was no fun to be with. And so, um, and, and the fire was only the beginning of a period of four years of just shit luck. Why? What else? Oh God! I do. It's all in my book. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I, I could talk to you for hours about it, but I mean, just it was like one thing after the next, after the next, getting ripped off, getting getting evicted from a house that we had been paying. Uh, you know, we we got, finally found a house, and we you were paying uh, lease to own, 
and had paid $14,000 on the down payment on the house and the, the owners had been pocketing the money and we didn't know and never paid the mortgage and we got evicted after, you know, so we lost everything again. Anyways, it was a period of four years where we just, so many bad things were happening to us and that's why I call it my book Fire Season because it was a season of just we couldn't stop these bad things from happening. Is your middle name Job or anything? It, right? I mean, well, listen, like I, I have friends who have lost children. So I, uh. you know, I don't have any problems mm. compared to, you know, if I haven't lost one of my loved ones, I consider myself incredibly lucky. Sure. But they were really challenging years that pushed us both to our limits. And there was one point about uh, four years after the fire that we we were going to we were going to split up and and we almost did it was really intense and then we made the decision I was like look I'm I'm miserable with you and I'm miserable without you so I'd rather be miserable with you and try to make it better <laughs> sounds like know? a good deal yeah yeah so and we did and we got you know we got therapy and we worked our stuff out and you know now actually in August it'll be our 30 year anniversary good <laughs> so, for you yep and we do great like we don't even you know we never fight anymore we understand when we get triggered and we sure we therapy is an exceptional thing to do i wish it was mandatory for all human beings because i feel like our our country wouldn't be in the mess they're in if everybody went to therapy but you know you just like some people are so awful and you just go who hurt you as a child because that's where it always comes i mean that's where it comes from generally yeah Yeah. so but anyways we're good now thanks for asking i'm glad (laughs) it it was tough it was really tough. And good on you for not, you know, throwing in the towel there. Yeah. It, it would have been easy to do. And yeah. I, we live in a culture now, of course, where, oh, the toaster broke. Let's get a new toaster. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, our grandparents, oh, the toaster broke. Well, let's tinker with it until we fix it. I know. Which is. I miss that. Yeah. That's kind of the. Yeah. That's what therapy is. It's tinkering with the toaster. Oh, trying good, to fix good it. Metaphor, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm on a roll. Yeah, you are. I like that. Yeah, we just weren't willing to give up. You know, and, and it was really hard work. It was really hard work, and and it wasn't like I'm going to stay with you until you work your stuff out. It was like I'm going to work my stuff out mm-hmm. to be better for you. You know, we each said that, and we each did our hard work. And when we were happier with ourselves, we got along a lot better. Amen, sister. Amen. It always starts with us. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. Oof, man, that's that's astounding. Um, it, it's it, I use the word extraordinary a lot. We can make it a drinking game in this episode. <laughs> but what a human being is capable of enduring is just mind-boggling. Yeah, it's true. There are people all over the world enduring a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. How did your book uh, "Dancing at the Shame Prom"? I love the title. Yeah, that's a good, fun title, isn't it? This is a compilation. It's a compilation. It's 27 women writers, including myself and Amy Ferris, who co- we co-edited. We, it was our idea to write this book because we were talking on the phone all the time about, like, if only, you know, like, look how we've been able to overcome our worst shame and turn it into, like, a building block, you know, mm-hmm. turn it into our platform, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to us. And, you know, if only everyone could do that. And so we were just thinking about all the like extraordinary women extraordinary women that we knew um that had done that and so we were like let's let's write a book you know let's do this Mm. so there are singers and artists and activists and writers and um just all different kinds of women that are telling their story feminists 
um, telling their stories of how they took the worst thing that ever happened to them and turned it into a strength, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. So it was an incredible project, and I think the whole like prom thing that we came <laughs> which up has with, its own shame. Yeah, well, that's what we were thinking about. It's like who didn't come home the next day from their prom feeling either completely disappointed or ashamed, or it's never. I didn't go to prom. Oh, I was not asked. So oh, yeah, I well, ate ice cream and watched TV. <laughs> well, that was me at homecoming. So, um, but you know, it's like who. You, you, it's like you you always think about oh, one day I'm gonna go to the prom and this is what my dress is gonna look like and it's gonna be this kind of an evening it's the mythology of childhood sure is. Yeah, we get it, so many lovely mythologies that yeah. we're supposed to live up to that are exactly. fallacy totally and so that was a metaphor for life you know it's like how we think oh you know, your life's gonna turn out and here's how it actually turns out and then what do you do with that you know so that's kind of what the title was about um, but it's eight. all women it's all it's all women. Um, yeah, we felt bad. We felt like we should have done a second edition, but with men's stories. But um, this was published through a feminist press, Seal mm-hmm. Press. So it was all women. Sure, because you know women's voices haven't had equal footing historically. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're we're getting a little bit of a toe in yeah, the water there. Yeah, we are now. Maybe two toes. But this is what um, this came out 2012. So mm. it's, you know, uh, although I think. I would be interested in reading a book about shame from the male perspective because yeah. I think it is the unspoken, you know, stepchild kept in the closet under the stairs, you know, below the basement. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and this is part of the problem. It's yeah. like what you said. Nobody would talk about your your brother being shot. Yeah. Nobody talks about shame. Nobody talks about fear or doubt because yeah. they're considered weaknesses. Exactly. And yet, if I walked into a room of 100 people and asked every single man and woman in the room and child, what is something you feel shame about? There'd be an answer. Yeah, but they probably wouldn't tell you. But They probably wouldn't. They, but would, I'm ha- saying, they but would have something. But in my scenario, they're very open. <laughs> yeah, in your scenario. <laughs> but you know, I'm just saying that we all carry yeah, of these, course. these the, you know, the mantle of shame, whether it's self-inflicted, yeah. given to us by a parent religion or a family or religion or, yeah. or the television or the magazines we read. Exactly, or, yeah. My God, it's a bombardment. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I My car, as I joke, here I am in LA, I have a, a Scion. It's a toaster, speaking of toasters. <laughs> but it's a workhorse. It's paid for. It carries my artwork. You know, it's great. But, you know, I go to these some of the parties here and everyone's driving Jaguars and BMWs and Audis and really, really nice cars that they're leasing for gobs and gobs of money. Yes. And I I have to check myself because the shame monster, you know, peeks into the window while I'm happily sitting there enjoying my my experience and says, Yeah. Really? (laughs) Really? Yeah. You know. It's everywhere. Oh, I know. I know. You have a book you're working on, Better Off Without You. Is it coming yes. out? Is it it's about to come out? What's so my agent's been pitching it for the last two months, and it's a really, oh, God, it's a nerve-wracking ride. Just It's waiting. fiction. Yeah, it's my first novel. Exciting. Yeah, yeah it is. And it's... Um, it's it's about a woman. It starts on, on 9-11. She's a, she's a Wall Street, um, you know, mogul, basically. And her life is a hot mess. I mean, she's she's on the verge of, like, checking out. I mean, she, it's bad. Things are bad for her. And because of all this stuff that's going on, she misses her train into work that morning, and that's the morning that, the you know, the planes hit the building. And so 
she runs toward the building. She tries to get to her friends and, you know, she can't get through. And then the buildings crumble and she's, you know, she's badly injured. And then um, as she's going over the Brooklyn Bridge with all of the, you know, people soaked in white ash and she keeps trying her cell phone. I don't know if you remember, but back then nobody could get cell phone signal because everyone was trying to use their cell phone. So nobody could get through. And she keeps trying to get through to tell her husband she's alive. She's alive. Tell somebody she's alive and she can't. And then she finally realizes everyone thinks I'm dead. So maybe I'm just dead. And she just chucks her cell phone off the Brooklyn Bridge and she gets on a Greyhound bus and heads to Canada. And it's like everything that happens once she's in this new place. And basically it's a... Anywhere you go, there you are. <laughs> you know, so you take your stuff with you. Mm. And she has to confront a lot of stuff. She meets all these new characters. She tries on this new life. And um, she has to figure out what to do with the mistakes that she's... The mess she's made. Sounds and like a good book. It's, it's a Sounds really, like a good movie, too. It's, it's a really here's, interesting here's to your concept. Option. Well, it was funny because I could never stop thinking about that after 9-11. Like, what if... What if you didn't make it to work that morning, but everyone thought you were dead? What if you wanted everyone to think you were the dead? The reset button. Walk away. Nobody would ever know. Just walk away. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought, I wonder if any people did that. I mean, we, we'll never know, right? So I thought, what a perfect way to escape from... I, it just was an interesting concept to me. And what would you do? Because I have faced a blank slate in my life. You know, what would you do if you went to another country and just became a different person and just started over and nobody knew you, know that nobody knew your history or what you were about, and you just decided to become someone new? What would that feel like? What would it look like? So I had a lot of fun exploring that, you know, like, ooh, what if she meets this person, then what would happen? And what if I put her in this situation, what would happen? And it was fun. What do you think you would do if you did that? Oh, I, well, I would never do it because I have kids and I'm like... Let's take the kids out. <laughs> and my husband, who I love so much. So I, uh, I don't know. I think... I mean, if I had no attachments to anybody and I started my life over, what an interesting question. I think um, I would live a quiet life in the woods and be a painter mm. and write, write books. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows what you'd actually yeah, do? Knows, I'd have to make to a living, it. so I'd probably end sure. up working in a bank and not ever have time to paint. Well, unless your <laughs> uncles, you know, came through you and taught you how to be one with the animals, and then you, would, right. you know, you'd be... Train wolves. Yeah. I'd train wolves. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have an owl. Holly, how can people find you in your books? So we have Dancing at the Shame Prom. We have Fire Season upcoming, Better Off Without You, which will come well, out we'll see when yeah well, people can keep up with you on your website i have yes. a website hollydexter.net um, and holly is spelled it's h-o-l-l-y-e dexter d-e-x-t-e-r yes um i'm on everything because i'm a i'm also a social media um director for an organization oh, so. yeah i almost forgot one of the things that you do is the art for kid the is it art Art Soul Kid Art for oh, Kids. Oh yeah, what yeah. Is this? Um, I did that for ten years, um, and we lost our funding. And that, ah. uh, I know. Um, and when the economy collapsed in two thousand eight, we lost our funding. But I worked with um, teenagers in foster care. Mm. Um, most of them, a lot of them, were on probation or had had drug issues, and so we did all kinds of. We did songwriting. We did writing. We did art. We did graffiti art. We did. Um, we made movies, and it was just exploring Wonderful. all forms of self expression as an alternative to expressing yourself in a negative way that's going to get you put in juvie, you know? Sure. So um, it was great. We'd worked together for two months, and uh, a lot of the kids I'm still in touch with today, and they're all grown up. But, yeah, I did that for um, the better part of a decade. And it oh, was, I'm sorry it was, to hear that it's ended. I did, too, because it was 
probably the best thing I ever did in my life, like work-wise, you know, it really sure. was, it was really a, a beautiful chapter. what was it chapter. called? Um, it was called Art and Soul. Art and Soul. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, it was Maybe it'll cool. get revitalized somehow. Yeah, Because it sounds so. like a fantastic it, idea. It really was. It really was. Um, so, yeah, I hope so. Well, I'll put links for your books and all your yeah, contacts. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I'm on um, Twitter. I'm on Facebook. All the places. All those places. Google me. All the places we love to hate to love. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Holly, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, one more one more tip to the drink. It was an extraordinary experience talking with you. <laughs> thank you. It was uh, extraordinary talking with you. <laughs> and I just want to say my last thing. Everybody get carbon monoxide detectors, please. Absolutely. I'll put <laughs> links so that people can get those on Amazon because I do that. It's an ad-free podcast. So I do um, the Amazon portal. But oh, on the great, links great. page, there's always books and things and items you can get through Amazon. So get your carbon monoxide <laughs> tester to warning bell Yes, things. please. They're important. Thanks, Holly. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Thanks. Bye.